Wrapping up another week of Tall Can Audio. Matt Robinson along with you for a Friday. Hope you all had a great week. Make sure you're following along on social media at Tall Can Audio. We love to hear from you guys about what you're thinking about these episodes and uh, and whatever we're talking about on that day. And I hope you'll subscribe to the pod wherever you're hearing us if you haven't already done so, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the usual places. Um, and uh, maybe even leave us a rating and a review. Helps us out a lot. So uh, appreciate that. Uh, hope you've enjoyed the week around here. I know I did. This was uh, this one was a lot of fun. We had uh, earlier in the week on Wednesday, Ian Mendez back in here for the first time in I don't know, probably eight months, maybe maybe a little more than that. Uh, we try not to bug Ian too often. He's a pretty busy guy, but we try and get him in here once or twice a year, and uh, it's always a great time when he does. This was no exception. Always a lot of laughs when Ian comes in here, but but he's as you guys all know a really insightful guy, and so I really enjoyed being able to talk to him about like. Where does sports reporting run into journalism when you're talking about something like the Hockey Canada scandal and the London police press conference and these sorts of things? Um, so that was really interesting. And then, of course, you know, some some lighter stuff. Ian had taken a, a stab, as we called it then, at, uh, at the stand-up comedy world. Uh, we reminisced a little bit about the uh, 2010 Golden Goal and his role in covering it. So that was a really fun show. If you haven't had a chance yet, I'd recommend you go back and check that one out. It was episode 1262. And then, of course, uh, on Thursday, a couple of episodes with Lever Sage. Um, you probably noticed just in the way that it was framed that uh, episode 1263 was sort of just plucked out of 1264. There was no intro, no real, uh, you know... Uh, conversation that you normally hear coming in and out of an episode, but it had run well over two hours while we were chatting and almost a half hour of it was again, just kind of shooting the shit, looking back at that Vancouver 2010 Olympics. So uh, that had been fun. So I just plucked that out and dropped it on it uh, on its own um, as episode 1263, still on that anniversary, right? February 28th, and then put the rest of the episode back together uh, without that chunk, and uh, and that was episode twelve sixty four. So it's good to have Lee back in the country. This is his second week back in here. Uh, he'll be back next week, of course. Uh, a couple other things we can tee up for next week. Uh, Angela Thompson, our friend from the Lake of Bays Brewing Company, she's going to come back in here and record on Monday afternoon. So you can look for that to drop probably Tuesday morning. And then uh, Bund, uh, yeah, Steve Bund is going to be back in here later in the week. That'll probably drop Friday morning. We'll talk to him about whatever's in the news at that point. And of course, uh, some UFC stuff is the big thing we like to get into him, uh, get into with him uh, when he comes in here. UFC 299 coming up and UFC 300 not far off either. So uh, we'll get into the fights and and whatever else is is in the news at that point. And Lever, of course, in his usual Thursday morning slot. And and we'll see. Maybe something else comes up. We'll uh, we'll drop in throughout the week. We'll we'll kind of see how it comes together. Uh, this has sort of become. I don't know. I'm not committing to doing it every week. I'm not promising anything, but you know, we sort of leave the Friday open and when I can, we'll come in and we'll talk about some, some odds and ends, right? Some news and notes, just little things that maybe we didn't get to throughout the week or, or little things that have, uh, that have popped up. And the first thing I guess on my mind, and it's nothing serious. We won't spend a ton of time on it or anything is just the, uh, the news on Thursday about Ottawa blues fest. And I know not all of our listeners certainly are, uh, are from Ottawa, and so we won't spend a ton of time on this, but increasingly, our listenership is here in Ottawa, so we'll, we'll address it a little bit. And I saw a lot of, I don't know, a lot of belly aching, a lot of complaining about the lineup, 
And when you do something as diverse as Ottawa Blues Fest, right, where you're going to go like 10 days and there's going to be a little bit of everything, you're never going to be able to please everybody. And I, I don't know. When I looked at this lineup, there wasn't a ton there for me. But I did look at it and go, well, they took a shot at it. It's a pretty diverse lineup. There's a couple of big country names. I'm not super familiar with them, so I don't have them memorized here off the top of my head. But Nickelback is coming. That's one of the biggest bands in the world, whether you like them or not. And their their best days are obviously, or their biggest days are behind them. But that's a big name. Motley Crue is coming. There's an audience for that. Like, that could be fun. I may or may not show up for that one. It's not exactly my thing, but I... You know, on a summer night in Ottawa, if the weather's nice, you could pop down there and see Motley Crue. That'd be fun. Maroon 5 is not my thing. But again, a very big name. Nas, 50 Cent. Like, there's some some names here. And the biggest one for me that I am interested in, and I likely will try and go. I haven't committed to anything yet. I don't even know if tickets uh, are on sale yet. Uh, but often in the summer, I try and disappear for a couple weeks here and there up to the family cottage. So I'm going to wait until it gets a little closer and see what my plans for uh, the summer are before committing to this. But Neil Young and Crazy Horse are coming. And I that'd be fun for me. I, I, I've been once before. Maybe I've told the story on the show. and I, I Maybe I haven't because I feel sometimes like it makes me a little bit of a heel. I, I don't feel great about how it all played out. But I, at the time... I felt like I was being a good guy, and it's been said to me since that maybe I wasn't. And and the story, just quickly, is that a bunch of my college buddies were going to see Neil Young uh, December 2008 at the Air Canada Centre. Now, I'm a fan, but I'm not a hardcore fan. I'm not a huge Neil Young guy. And um, they were much more into it than I was, and so I decided I'm not going to go, just you know, when they were going around, who wants to go? Let's get tickets together. I passed and said, no, I'm not going to do it. And that was fine. And then on uh, the night before the concert, um, my buddy who had organized the whole thing texted me and said, yo, somebody dropped out. Do you want to go? We suddenly have a ticket again that, you know, we're trying to get rid of. And if I remember, I think this is like the most expensive concert at the time that I'd ever been to. And maybe still is like when you, when you talk about my musical tastes, it's a lot of old punk bands. It's a lot of like the tragically hip out in a field somewhere. So even that's not terribly expensive almost ever. Um, I hadn't been to a lot of like really expensive concerts. I guess the closest would have been, and this would, this would be a year or two later. Uh, Elton John played in Oshawa at, uh, uh, at the time, it was called the General Motors Center, their, their OHL building. So it was only 5,000 seats. I'm pretty sure those were really pricey tickets, but I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. But I do remember that Neil Young, for the seats that my buddy had managed to get, was 180 bucks at the ACC. And look, you got to be really into it to spend 180 bucks. And I just wasn't, um, you know, to that level. And so I had said, like, uh, weeks earlier, months earlier, whenever they got the tickets, like, the that I was out and it kind of sneaks up on you, right? You realize, you know, it's college is over, but it's that, it's that group getting together again. And you're kind of, you, you're getting a little of that FOMO, right? Like you wish you were going a little bit too, but not to the point where you were interested in spending 180 bucks on it. And so he said, when this guy backed out, do you want to go? And what I said to him, and this is what has been, as I've told this story once or twice before, it's been pointed out to me that maybe I'm a bit of a douche for this. And so you can decide for yourself. 
I mean, if it's not this, I'm a douche for enough other things that I won't be that offended if you decide that, yeah, this goes on the list. I told him, I still can't justify that price. I said, go talk to anybody else. There was like six or eight people going. Get everybody to ask around. See if anybody else wants to go and pay that. If not, if tomorrow afternoon at the last minute or whatever, you're going to get screwed and be out completely, circle back. I'll throw you a hundred bucks and I'll come down because it'd be good to see everybody. I'm sure it'd be a good show. All of these sorts of things. So I didn't, I didn't say hundred bucks, take it or leave it. Right. I wasn't trying to be an asshole about it. Um, I said, go see if you can get anyone else to go and give you like, get you all of your money back. And, uh, sure enough, he wasn't able to, he texted me around noon or one o'clock the next day and said, yeah, at this point I'll just take the hundred to top chasing people and, and whatever. So that's what I did. And when we got down there, I bought him a beer or two and, and these sorts of things. But the show itself is, <laughs> I don't really know why I chose to tell the whole story of how I got the ticket there. Uh, <laughs> this is what you get on TCA. Uh, odd diatribe. And Lever's not even here. Lever's the one who typically takes us all over the damn place. And he's he's got a preamble for everything he wants to get to. And half the time we don't get to the actual thing. Uh, anyway, that's how I got my ticket to Neil Young in December 2008. Uh, we got down there. The show was fantastic. Like I really did enjoy myself. Um, and, uh, it was just him and, and Peggy, his wife. And so it was a really trimmed down show, right? It it was a lot of piano and a lot of sort of acoustic guitar. And it, it was, you know, it was, it was terrific, honestly. But this one here now, as we fast forward to Blues Fest July 2024, is uh, it's him and Crazy Horse. The band is coming, too. So this would be a different show. And I'm still not sure I would pay 140 bucks for it. I haven't checked the single day, you know, Blues Fest price. But you're probably looking at more like 65, 80 bucks, maybe. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I know some nights they jack it way up if they have to. I'm not expecting that here. So if I'm in town kind of looking forward to uh, to maybe going down and checking out Neil Young and, and Crazy Horse because that would be a different vibe. And Neil's like 75 now. Like, he's not going to be doing this a whole lot longer. And I do like his music. I do find him to be, obviously, one of those Canadian legends. So when he's coming right to your backyard and it's not going to break the bank financially, yeah, this is that's probably one I, I'd go see. But as for the rest of the lineup, yeah, not a lot there for me. I'm not a, a 50 cent guy. Like I said, if I'm kicking around and know a couple guys going, maybe I'll go see Motley Crue. That might be kind of fun. Um, but yeah, not a Nas guy, not a Maroon 5 guy. I see, I can't remember what night it is. And again, it, it gets tough to justify. I saw Matthew Good was playing one night. I used to back in when I was a little younger uh, or a lot younger. I used to like his music a fair bit. Uh, I've sort of lost track of him. I don't know if he's still putting out new albums, um, but he's midway through one night and so it gets hard like would you pay 30 bucks to go see uh matthew good at the bronson center or something like that yeah i'd probably do that am i willing to pay the headline price right the 65 70 dollars 75 dollars whatever it's going to be for a day pass at blues fest yeah less interested in that right and those are normally the ones that you take advantage of if you've bought a three-day pass or a five-day pass or something like that where you can justify going down and seeing some things that you're not super into, but you've paid for the headliner anyway, so you might as well go early and, and see some more. But yeah, not a lot there for me this year on the Blues Fest lineup, but I didn't think it was as bad as other people. Like, you have to be able to understand the difference between this is bad and this isn't for me. 
And that's what I was reading a lot of online today was this is shit. That's another terrible lineup. And I don't think it is. I don't think it's a terrible lineup. I think it's a lineup that this year just isn't for me. There's been other years where, you know, you've been tempted to buy the whole festival pass or or years where I've bought and gone five nights. Um, so it's just in a in a in a wide ranging, you know, no genre specific festival like this. It's going to be a bit of a mixed bag. And some years it's going to be full of stuff you love. And some years it's going to be a little more hit and miss. And so this feels a little hit and miss to me. It'll be Neil Young. And that might be it. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens when it gets a little bit closer. Uh, as I'm sitting down to record this right now, it is Thursday at around 6.30 p.m. So the Sens have not played tonight. The Leafs haven't yet played tonight. Uh, both with noteworthy um I guess you'd call it injury news, but going in the opposite directions. Josh Norris was um, injured during Tuesday's game against Nashville, and he went to the bench favoring that left shoulder again, which isn't a good sign. Um, He's had surgery on it in 2019, and then he had surgery on it again last, I want to say last February. And that recovery actually kept him out, if you remember, through training camp, and the first three games of the regular season, everyone thought he'd be back raring to go at camp and it just it wasn't quite there yet. There was some question about whether part of that recovery or part of that slow ramp up during during the fall was as much mental as anything else, because you've been through this twice now and you're you're going to be a little tentative, right? The first couple times you get hit, is it going to hold? Am I going to be all right? And so it was a slow start for him. Now. He's been playing better of late. I think he's up to like 16 goals or something like that. So he was on pace for, you know, whatever, 23, 25. Um, and after a slow start, you'd, you'd probably take that. But now he's down again. Same shoulder, it looks like. Uh, and the news on Thursday afternoon uh, from Jacques Martin was that he's going to be out long term. Didn't give an exact estimate. Didn't give the exact injury. Um, you know, how worried they might be, but it's not good news. It looks like it's that shoulder again. It is an upper body injury and he's not going to be back anytime soon. So for the time being, they're going to allow Pinto, who had already started to take some of Norris's minutes here over the last little while. Uh, I think Norris, like I said, he'd gotten up to like 16 goals, but over the last week or so, his, his ice times were averaging down closer to like 14 minutes. So obviously Jacques Martin wasn't happy with him uh, here recently. Uh, So Pinto had already started to take those second line minutes and the team looks totally different with him back in there. He's obviously a piece that they missed a great deal throughout the first half of the season. And for now, they'll slide Ridley Gregg back into that third line center role, which he's fine to do. He's capable of that. Um, Personally, I like the look of that lineup better with Norris, Pinto and Stutzla up the middle and and Gregg playing on the wing. But this is fine. This isn't going to kill you other than the fact that you're now missing another key piece that they're looking to have be part of the core. He's locked up long term. They owe this guy still like 50 million bucks. I think it was 48 they got left to pay this guy. So they need to know, is this shoulder going to be permanently an issue or is it just a run of bad luck? We don't know this, you know, on this one, is it just a week or two or is it a couple of months? Is it dislocated? Is it torn? Like we, we just don't know at this point. Uh, but that's got to be a concern in that organization because he is locked up long term. He is a huge piece of what they're trying to build. And they do look different when they have all three of those guys in there. And man, the, the the run that they have been on of not being able to have all three of those guys healthy and in the lineup together and continues 
uh, now, at least for the foreseeable future. So, uh, The Leafs on the other side of things have Joseph Wall returning to play on uh, on Thursday night against Arizona. So you're easing him in there against about as, as simple of an opponent as you can. I'm not sure if that's the reason he got tonight or if that's just the schedule. He did play last weekend for the Marlies uh, against Laval. Stopped, I think it was 36 at 37. Looked really sharp. And it's coming off a high ankle sprain. And so this is going to be a tough one because the high ankle sprain is one of those dreaded most feared injuries already in the hockey world. And then you throw that onto a goalie, right? All the lateral movement, all the up and down just adds to it. So sometimes it takes guys a while to come back from that injury. And you saw it with Liljegren this year. He was out with one and it took him quite a while to get back up to speed. He didn't look very good when he first came back from that injury. So this is going to be a challenge for Joseph Wall at a time where the Leafs don't have a whole lot of time to evaluate. We are a week away from the trade deadline, and I don't know how many games they're going to give Wall here, because Samsonov had been back. He'd been playing better, uh, not what you would call great, but certainly better than the first half of the season. And so you don't want to rattle his confidence here. You don't want to necessarily take the net from him, but you need to get a good look at Joseph Wall before the deadline. He's got to play maybe two or three games, so you know... Is this guy back? And if he is back and healthy, what is he? This We've all been waiting for him to come back. This is a guy with 17 career NHL wins. It's not a lot. It's not a lot of runway. And he does have a history both in the NHL and in the minors of, of some injury troubles of his own. Now, it's not always the same thing, right? Like we talked about Norris. It seems to be that shoulder pretty frequently. With Wall, he's sort of had a few different things. And so maybe that's a little easier to believe is just bad luck. We'll see. But if they have any plans at all to maybe add a goalie at the deadline, you need to know now whether that's something you need to do or whether or not you're going to be okay with this three-headed <laughs> Joseph Wall, Ilya Samsonov, Martin Jones. I'm not sure how much confidence that's instilling in anybody right now. And I, I... I liked what I saw last year and early this season out of Joseph Wall. I thought he was developing nicely and coming along pretty well. But it it can be a bit of an adventure coming off the high ankle sprain. And so we don't know how long it may take him to get back into form. And you don't really have time to figure that out. You got a week and then you have to make a decision on whether or not you're comfortable riding with Wall and, and Jones and Samsonov or whether you got to go and address this uh, on the trade market. So um, not an ideal situation for them to be in. Uh, I did want to touch briefly on this week's news out of the PWHL, which uh, saw some some answers finally come on the, the playoff format and the draft format. And I'll be honest with you, I really like one, and the other one, I'm, eh, eh. Rob always comes in here and gives me shit. Have strong opinions. I don't have a strong opinion on everything. Some things are just sort of meh. So let's start with that one. Uh, Six teams in the PWHL. So four of them are going to make the playoffs. The one who finishes first gets to pick their opponent out of the third and uh, and fourth place teams. You can't pick the can't pick the second place team if you want, even if you wanted to. I guess the only reason I can figure on that is that the second place team 
deserves the right to have home ice in the first round. So if you picked them, you would take that away from them, and that wouldn't be uh, that wouldn't be very cool. So you can only pick between the third and fourth place teams. And I get why people love this, and it might be fine. Um, we've heard other teams talk about this, or other leagues talk about this, especially baseball a couple of years ago when they completely rejigged their playoff format. There was some talk there that maybe that would be a, a place where you would allow the division winners to pick their opponent, or at least the first place one. And, and it has it has some interest for me. It it I buy into the idea that this could help create rivalries. Right? They pick you. Fuck you. Right? Like I, I'm better than that. But that's always been the argument against it as much as anything else is that if you are the favorite, if you are the first place team, do you really want to give your opponent any extra motivation? Hey, they think they can crush us. Yeah, they do. But you don't want to give them that. You don't want to motivate them. Now, maybe you don't care about that. Maybe you're more interested in the fact that this can help build some rivalries and that there's a great incentive. And maybe it would be a bigger thing if there wasn't just four playoff teams. If you could pick anyone in like a, I don't know, the bottom eight teams that, that, that we do here in the NHL or the NBA or something like that and add a little intrigue to it, you go back and you're looking at, you know, who you matched up better against and what your records looked like and these sorts of things. Maybe there'd be a little more to it for me there. But here you're choosing between two teams. Um, I imagine you probably just pick the one with the worst record, but we'll see what happens. This is the one, like I said, that I'm kind of mid on. I don't hate it. I don't think it's going to ruin the game. Um, I just, I'm not as in love with it as everyone else. And this goes back to the, the, uh, I talked to Shrides about it when we recorded an episode out in her basement bar a month or so ago. I don't love the... The penalty kill, you know, the shorthanded goal jailbreak rule. Again, I don't hate it. I don't groan every time I see it. I'm just not as in love with it as everybody else. In in theory, and I'm going to overuse this term a little bit or maybe use the wrong term. You have committed a crime and you are being punished for that crime. You should have to serve that punishment. Like we wouldn't do this in any other walk of life. Now, sports maybe a little less serious than actual crimes being committed. I understand. Okay. I'm just saying you were assessed, um, you know, a penalty, a, a, a punishment for the offense that you have committed. And now just because the person that you committed that offense on is so inept that you were able to score on them shorthanded, you no longer deserve that punishment. Nah. Like I said, don't hate it. Just don't like it. I think if you if you committed the crime that you have offended, you know, that other team, they get the full two minutes, no matter how much they suck. So uh, the other one, though, I do really like, and that's the the second part of what they unveiled here this week. And again, it's only going to uh, impact two teams until there's expansion. But the two teams who missed the playoffs. We will determine which one of those two teams gets the first overall pick in the draft by number of points accumulated after you're eliminated. This one I love, and I'll explain quickly for anyone who didn't quite follow that. It has a name like the gold rule or something. I don't know where the hell that came from, but I've been pressing for this one for a while in the NHL. I think it would work well there. I think it'd work in a lot of places, but what happens is let's say the season ends at the end of April. 
and you are eliminated mathematically from the playoffs on April 7th, your clock is now running. From April 7th to April 30th, how many points can you get? Because in theory, you are, as the first team eliminated, you are the team with the most runway to accumulate points. You have the advantage still. You have the most time to go win games. Now, your team is obviously not very good or you wouldn't be in this situation. So it's not like you suddenly have an advantage in the games, but you do have a time advantage, right? You have more time to get this done than a team who maybe gets eliminated from the playoffs uh, on April 25th. It was a real tight battle right up to the last weekend of the season. That team maybe only has one game left. You've had eight games. In theory, you should be able to get two wins in those eight games while they only had time to get one. So you would still see the last place team get the first overall pick just like you would have if you just gave it to the last place team. But what it does is incentivize teams to keep trying. We're trying to sell tickets. We're trying to get people to care about these games. You don't want to see the appearance of tanking. This stops teams from tanking. You can go ahead. You can try and lose as many games as you want. It means you're not going to get that draft pick. So this I like. It keeps everybody trying. Now here's the drawback. I don't know how big of a deal this will be in the first year or two of the PWHL. We haven't seen a lot of trades yet. But in other leagues, if you did try and transfer this rule into the NHL, it kills your trade deadline. If you know that you're going to be eliminated, one of the very first teams to be eliminated in the playoffs because you're not very good, and you've traded away all your best players, you know, the best players you had left remaining, obviously they weren't very good, but you're unrestricted free agents and whatever else, you gave those to contenders like we do now at the trade deadline, you're going to have a lot harder time winning those games after you're eliminated and getting that first overall pick. Because you're no longer just trying to lay there and play dead. You actually have to show some signs of life now. So maybe you're okay with that. At some point, all of our teams are going to go through rebuilds and you're going to be on the crap end of this. But if you're a fan of a team right now that has a chance to win and would normally be buying at the trade deadline and you keep calling all the shitbirds and they're all going, no, we got to keep our guys. We got to, that's going to be really frustrating. Now, this is a change of approach. Doesn't mean you can't still make good hockey trades, but the idea of them trading you their top right winger who's an unrestricted free agent for your second round pick or whatever it might have been is a lot less palatable for them now because that draft pick doesn't help them win those games, get those points that they're going to need to get the, you know, get the first overall pick. So there's consequences. You know, what is it? The, 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 for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. This would be the equal and opposite reaction is you kill the trade deadline. The, bottom teams selling off all their pieces would stop happening. So like I said, I like this style. I like this rule. I think it's better for business. I, th- I think you stop having teams tank all year uh, and certainly tank after the deadline. So I kind of like it, but it is worth presenting the other side of it. And that of course is that it would be very damaging to the trade deadline. Last thing before we get out of here, we are now just about one full week into spring training games down in Dunedin for the Blue Jays. And uh, just before I started recording, our buddy Andrew Stoughton over at the batflip.ca dropped his latest kind of thoughts, um, you know, his 
his impressions of what we've seen so far. And right off the top, he's talking about something that has been on my mind more and more over the last couple of weeks. And that is the idea. And this would not have been exciting to me in November or December or maybe even January. But now that we're here and we're seeing the roster, maybe they should go talk to Matt Chapman again. And he lays out all the numbers, um, you know, what you could kind of expect out of Matt Chapman this year. Why maybe last year? And he is getting older, right? He he He's never been a terrible hitter except for the second half of last season. So part of that is due to an injury that he suffered. I believe it was a knuckle. I could be wrong on that. Uh, but in the gym, and that he, he played through it. He's a tough guy. He wanted to help the team, but he didn't hit for shit after that happened. So was that the injury? Was it him not playing well? He was already not hitting well before the injury, but the injury did not help, right? You were not able to bounce back the way you wanted. But you don't want Isaiah Kiner-Falefa playing third base every day. His arm is terrible. His defense would probably be fine. He's a pretty talented defensive guy. He's going to play around the diamond and back up. He's going to play some left field. He'll play some center field. He'll probably play some second base. He'll be a good utility guy. You don't want him to be your starting third baseman. Stoughton laid out a couple other numbers, you know, whether it was going to be Espinal or, you know, I don't even, Biggio. They don't have any good arms over there. And Matt Chapman has gone out. He's looked around and he's a Scott Boris client and Boris holds out to the very end. And maybe that's what we're seeing here. Maybe he can still get Matt Chapman a big contract out of the Giants, which has been the team that's been rumored to. But there's no leverage left there. In theory, it was the Giants and the Cubs that were the last two in the mix to do something with Matt Chapman and uh, Cody Bellinger. Well, the Cubs went and did the Bellinger thing. And so there's not that many landing spots left for Matt Chapman, and the Giants know it. So if they weren't willing to give him the big contract he wanted before, why would they be willing to do it now? So could the Jays circle back and offer a similar contract to what Bellinger just got with the Cubs, which was, we'll give you good money here. Maybe it's got to be $20 million again or something like that, maybe a little higher. And we'll offer you a three-year deal because he's getting up there. You don't want to go four, five, six years. You don't want to do it. But the way you sweeten that for him is the same way it was sweetened for Bellinger. You get an opt-out after each year. So if you kill it this year, which is Bellinger's big concern, he used to be really good, then he got really, really not good, and essentially the Dodgers just let him leave. And then he came back and had a really good year for the Cubs, but a lot of his underlying numbers said that probably shouldn't have happened, and I wouldn't bank on it happening again. And so the Cubs were nervous about giving him a long-term deal. He comes back this year, and if he dominates, if he does show, yeah, I am that guy. I am this good. I get to leave now, right? I have an opt-out at the end of year one. I can go talk to other teams and I can get someone to pay me what I actually think I'm worth on a long-term deal. So that's the sweetener for him. If you're as good as you say you are, you'll get another chance to go talk to teams. And if he's not quite that good, instead of the Cubs having given him six or eight years and being stuck with this guy, well, it's only three now and maybe you can live with it. It's still not ideal, but it sort of protects everybody. And I wonder if Matt Chapman is comfortable in Toronto. I wonder if Matt Chapman's comfortable in that, you know, in that clubhouse, knows the guys, believes he's going to bounce back. Would you be able to get him on a similar contract for three years with a couple of opt-outs 
and he comes back in a place where he feels like he can be successful. Because you also have to think, we're rolling into March now. Spring training is underway. You sign somewhere else. Let's say it is San Francisco. You have to get down there. You have to find a home. You have to get acclimatized to the new clubhouse and the way things work. Learn a whole new uh, city. Everything that goes into that stress while you're already late. You're already under the gun and not going to get a full spring training. Well, you would take at least a couple of those things away coming back to Toronto. You'd be familiar with the guys in the clubhouse and the the city, uh, all these sorts of things. So there is some logic to it. And I think for the Jays, when they look at their lineup, it's not, it's not set right now. And they're not good enough at third base. And if Matt Chapman could come back in, play that defense, have that strong arm, and it's not the platinum glove it used to be, but it's still a very good glove. And then he hits for some power. Um, you know, maybe he's still going to strike out a lot. That's always been part of it. But like I said, back in the fall when this was all over, I was ready to just be like, I'll see you later, man. Like I, I wasn't all that upset that he was going to be leaving. But as we sit here now, when you look at all this, how all this is shaken loose, both for the team and for him in not finding the contract that he wanted, maybe there's a fit here again. Even if it's just one year or two years with an opt-out, whatever it might be. Maybe you circle back to Matt Chapman. Now, there's there's salary complications there, crossing certain thresholds on the luxury tax. You'd have to ship a couple pieces out. Maybe not big pieces, but you know, you'd have to do that. Uh, but it seems workable. And I do find myself sitting here as we enter March far more willing to talk about the return of Matt Chapman than I would have been in October or November, so... That's probably enough for today. Like I said, just some odds and ends to end the week. Things we didn't get too much uh, throughout the course of the week. We'll be looking next week forward to, like I said, Angela Thompson from the Lake of Bays Brewing Company. We'll talk some beer. We'll talk some sports with her. Lever Sage, Steve Bunda. Uh, it should be a fun week. Uh, hope, Like I said, hope you all have a terrific weekend. And uh, we'll see you back here on Monday morning with, uh, with Rob back in the co-host seat. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you then. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy. I don't care.